Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hey, welcome back to the Joyful Marketing Podcast. Today, we have a special episode featuring the best highlights from my three-part masterclass series with Melissa Tears, which we taught one of in each of the three preceding months. The masterclasses were called How to Change Any Memory, How to Change Any Habit, and Deep Trance Magic. So it's like a, it was like a three-part thing. And we have had incredible feedback. You know, people have been telling us that they would have paid $8,000 for one of the masterclasses alone that you know, one of these masterclasses taught them more than they learned an entire full-length coaching courses and that it completely changed the way they think about coaching and the way they work with their clients. And not only that, it wasn't just concepts. Like we taught things that people were able to implement immediately, techniques, tools, fold immediately into their client sessions to their self-coaching to see dramatically different results. So Listen, if you're listening to this and you've already joined us for one or more of the masterclasses, it's going to be a powerful reminder of all that you learned in the series. And if you did not watch any of the masterclasses, these highlights are going to give you a frame of reference of different ways you can coach the unconscious mind and add the most powerful tools to your coaching toolbox that can help your clients dramatically and instantaneously. So, as you listen to these, remember that you can watch any of these masterclasses the full length for free by going to bestfuckingcoachingcourse.com <laughs> and scrolling about halfway down the page to a section that says, if you want to get a taste of coaching the unconscious mind, we did a three-part workshop series, watch it free. Now there's a button, blah, blah, blah. There's a direct link to each of the replays here. You can download them for free whenever you want. So let's dive in to masterclass number one, how to change any memory. This one was magical. I just realized recently that there was one critical thing that I never talked about because to me, it was so obvious. It took me this long to realize that it was not obvious. And that element that I never talked about before or very rarely is how my confidence was as a coach from day one, how I felt about my ability to do work with clients. From day one, the very first day I called myself a coach, my thought about my skills was I do fucking magic. My thought about myself was you can put any human being in front of me and in 10 minutes, I can give them an amazing transformation. Any human being. I remember when I was when I took Melissa's course, and this was all beginning with Melissa's course. When I took Melissa's course for the, for the for the first time, I was living in New York City, and I remember going home from her class, and I was on the train, the one train, and there were all these random people on the New York City train sitting in front of me, and I remember thinking, oh, I wish one of these people would ask me to coach them because I could like change their whole lives in ten minutes on the train. Like I was so <laughs> hungry to do this work because. I was like, I can change anyone's life in 10 minutes. And because I had that confidence, that was the foundation. That was the root of everything that I did to market myself, to sell my services. And that's kind of important when you're still selling coaching, knowing I'm really fucking good. And I realized that it was a shock to me to realize that not every coach 
who was starting out had that. And I realized, oh, it's because they didn't get the coach training I got with Melissa. So that's what you're getting today. The confidence that you can do magic with anyone, with almost anyone, I should say, not literally everyone, almost anyone with almost any kind of issue. And today, you know how some people do these like webinar type things and then they're like, I'm going to teach you blah, blah, blah. And then they teach you like nothing. And then what you get is a really long sales pitch. We've all been there. This is actually a whole self-contained course today, this workshop. This, these 90 minutes, you're going to learn a really, really cool skill set from beginning to end. You're going to be able to take it and use it. Okay. So I want you to take it seriously as a class. I want you to treat it like you just paid $500 for it because many people do. All right. And um, when you integrate this, you are also going to be infected with a confidence that whenever you say something in your marketing, it just lands differently with your people because you are now giving off the unconscious signal of congruence. Like when you say, I can help you change your fucking life, even if you say the same words, it's going to land differently with them. They're going to believe it. And if they were already believing it, they're going to believe it harder. So that's what's going to happen. So here's what you're going to learn today. One, you're going to learn how memory works. I think people think they know how memory works. Turns out so many of us are so wrong. Your science research is constantly revealing things that are astounding. And Melissa actually studies up on all of it. So you don't have to, and I don't have to. You're going to learn how memory <laughs> actually works in the brain and how that's relevant to your client work. You're going to learn the four steps of memory reconsolidation. If you're like, what the fuck is that? Melissa's going to teach you. And then you're going to learn all the ways you might be doing this work already. You might be playing with manipulating memory already for the client's transformation, but except up until now, you might've been doing it accidentally and the client gets an amazing transformation. You're like, wait, how did that happen? Right? So it's not going to be haphazard anymore. You're going to learn to pinpoint exactly what's happening and do it on purpose and be strategic with it. That's going to make your work so much more powerful. So first let's talk a little bit about like how typical memory changes over time, right? One of the things that we used to think, I used to think it about memory is that, you know, it's kind of like we're looking out a lens and we're just recording everything. And we used to be taught in early hypnosis trainings that your unconscious mind is recording everything, you know, like a, like a video recorder and storing it all, right? And that we can go in there and rewind and get to the memory, you know, and there's a lot of things that are based on that regression to the initial event and things like that. And people started to, to buy that. That was the way memory worked, but that's not how it works. So memory is a creative process, meaning Every time you recall something, it's, it's pulled from different, you know, cortical, like parts of the brain and cobbled together and then creates this thing that we feel and think is a memory, but it is active and it typically changes every single time we recall it. Well, so I just want to pause there like for emphasis. Memory is a creative process. <laughs> Every time you recall it, in a way, you recreate the memory. I just wanted to pause there so you have a moment to let, let that sink in. Memory is a creative process. 
Right. It doesn't feel that way because our conscious mind likes cohesion. Our conscious mind likes to feel like it knows and that it's running the show. And so, you know, it doesn't like blind spots. Literally, our brain fills in our blind spots. You know, if you if you don't have two big gaping holes uh, in your peripheral field every every time you are, you know, everywhere you go, that's because your brain actually fills it in. It guesses. But anyway, so the brain likes to fill things in, especially memory. So it takes a core, sometimes even just a core emotional memory with some shades of possible, you know, components and then cobbles it together. So just like a Word document every time, and this is the one we always use because it makes sense to people. You open up a Word document and you just change one word. When you hit save, you only ever have access to the latest version. This is the way memory works. There was a neuroscientist that said, the best way to preserve any memory is to never recall it. Because as soon as you recall it, right, it's like you lift it out of the brain, it becomes malleable again, right? It becomes changeable. And then when you lay it, then it it gets laid back down with all the new information and the subtle differences in perspective and emotional um, salience from the time it happened to now, right? So we're always changing it subtly. Now, sometimes you notice that, right? If you have a family and you talk about like uh, a holiday and everyone's like, that's not how it happened. Well, everyone has their own version and they'll swear by it. Like, that's the thing. Memory feels real. And, you know, it's funny every time something big in the, in the media comes up, right? Like, you know, Brian Wilson, when he, you know, said something and then they were like, he lied, you know, and he swore that that was exactly what happened. But of course it wasn't. Every time something like that happens, I get so excited. Like we're finally going to have the hard conversation about memory. And then we don't. Instead, he just apologizes right? I'm sorry. It's like, (laughs) but we never actually update the societal view of memory because then we would have to overhaul the entire criminal justice system. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing. So memory typically changes every single time you recall it, but those changes are so subtle that we swear they're not happening, right? But they are. They did this one research study. Well, the guy that did it, the reason why he started studying memory is he he was a neuroscientist and he walked into his his lab one day and he was telling a story about what happened during this event, you know, or during this this event that happened. And one of his graduate students was like, that was me. Like, that's my story. Like, no, that happened to me. You weren't even in town. And the guy was like, well, that's ridiculous. Of course. I mean, th- it's my memory. I remember just like I had breakfast this morning, you know? Well, it turns out he checked and he wasn't in the country. And he was so freaked out by how his fucking mind could be so convinced that this indeed happened. He could he could recall every detail that he spent the rest of his career studying memory. And during the um some of you are too young to remember this, but the, the Challenger spaceship, you know, when it, when it, it blew up, he took all of the freshmen, right? The day after, and everyone was still reeling from it and had them write down exactly where they were, 
who they were with, what they were thinking and feeling when they found out. And then when they were seniors, he asked them all how confident they were that they remember that day. And everyone would swear, oh my God, I'll never forget it. It's burned into my brain. We used to call them light bulb memories, you know, that they were like burned in there. But the truth was when they all wrote down again, everything they remembered, almost all of them barely resembled the initial account. Because When you're watching TV versions and newscasters and you're talking to people, all of it gets reconsolidated into the brain. So when you first are creating a memory, it gets consolidated. It gets, it gets locked in. There's a whole process you don't need to know, but they call that consolidation. But every time you remember something, you bring it out of its regions and it becomes malleable. And then when it gets reconsolidated in, sorry, in my memory helmet, <laughs> reconsolidated in, it includes everything, right? With it, random shit, stuff you saw on TV, on a commercial, and we don't know it because it feels solid, right? So, That's the way typical memory changes subtly over time. With memory reconsolidation, what we're going to focus on today, this is the therapeutic angle. This is the way that we can actually take a moment, a memory, and give it a massive update. And what we are actually changing, right, is the kind of implicit emotional track of the memory. Now, the meta pattern has four steps kind of just like memory reconsolidation. And I'm going to go over those because you'll see them underneath almost every NLP pattern, EFT, EMDR, everything you guys are putting in the chat. So the first step of the meta pattern is associate into the problem state, which is basically for memory reconsolidation, activate the memory. Got it? Once you activate the memory, right, it becomes changeable again. In order to do the meta pattern, what we typically will do is dissociate from the emotion, right? Dissociate from the negative emotional state. Now, the memory is still malleable for about five hours. So even though you're dissociating step two of the meta pattern, right? You're dissociating just so that you can ask the client, how do you want to feel instead, right? And we're going to be, I'm going to repeat this a bunch of times in a bunch of different ways so that you get it, you fully get it. So when you say, how do you want to feel instead, and you want to cultivate a different emotion, it's much easier to get a good quality answer if the person is not still stuck in a negative emotion. So that's why we go step one, activate the memory, right? The problem state, right? The memory that has a negative emotion, typically those are the ones we're changing and then dissociate just by having them shake or tap or do anything. But if it's coaching, I just tell them to sit up and shake a little bit. And then I say, how do you want to feel? Let's just say you could choose how you wanted to respond in this situation, how you wanted to show up on stage, how you wanted to, you know, feel in that scenario, how would it be? And then the client will say, I don't know. I want to feel confident. So step three is to really get into that, associate into the resource state. 
So we say, what's it like when you're feeling confident? How do you know you're confident? How does it move in your body? And we're going to try and be, you know, we're going to try and be a cheerleader for their resource state. We're going to really help them to embody it and activate it. And as soon as they have it, then they take this new emotion and revisit the trigger, right? And I'll say, okay, as you're feeling this feeling, now imagine stepping up in front of that group. How do you feel now? And the first time, quite often, you're going to see a, you know, this kind of weird dissonance, right? And if we look at this, I'm just going to take a break. If we look at this as this in, in this metaphoric way, but it'll make sense. Here is public speaking. Here is confidence. <laughs> These two neural networks don't know each other. So the first time, right, they kind of nudge each other or they nod to each other from across the brain. And that's called synaptic sensitivity. It just means that now these two neural networks are aware of each other. It's like, I see you, Simone, across the room at this party. Now I, uh, it's easier for me to spot you again, right? So then I say, how do you feel now? And some will say, oh, you know, weird. I'll say, that's right, because you're changing. So now imagine, right, that you've already changed. You've already been, you know, doing these presentations. It feels really fucking good. How's that going to be? And they'll be like, oh, that'll feel great. And then you grab it. It's a copy and a paste. So you grab it as you're feeling this feeling. It's going to be awesome. Now, you know, get up in front of that group. How do you feel now? And now if you think in terms of, you know, the synapses, They've just nudged each other, right? Or maybe they've shaken hands. So then we loop it again. So now you're changing. What's it going to be like six months from now when you're totally living the life you want to live? You're doing these presentations. You're feeling really good. What's it going to be like? They'll be like, oh, my God, that's going to be so awesome. Of course, because this is what one of their goals is. This is what they're coming to us for help with. So, of course, there's going to be, you know, charge, emotional juice to this. So feel what it feels like when you imagine you're already living this way. And now get up in front of that crowd. Right. And this time the neural networks, they shake hands and they don't let go. And pretty soon we are building a neural network that includes confidence and public speaking, right? We can take one memory that we work through and we can update it and change it. And then we go to the future, right? So we'll drag this new change and then we'll say, and now imagine next week getting up in front of that group. How do you feel now? So we're already going to start to generalize this change because that's how the brain learns. So I'll go over the steps again. <laughs> and the questions of how to easily get them. Oh, yeah, we're doing good, right? We got time. Yeah, we got time. Why don't, why don't we go through the steps again and then do a demo? All right, perfect. So the steps and the questions that you can ask. All right. So when somebody comes into me, I'll say, or even the demo, I'll say, what do you want to change right now? Right? What do you want to change today? That's pretty much my opening line with anybody. Right. And if they say, well, I, I, I have this, uh, you know, I have a social anxiety, right, which is a big, broad topic. And the way that I teach it in my classes is you can think of that as a tabletop and there's a bunch of legs holding up that tabletop. So we're going to go for one of the legs. Right. We're going to go for one of the memories. So I'll say, all right, well, when was the last time specifically or give me a, you know, a specific moment 
where this comes up for you. Now, most clients are going to back away from that. They want you to know it's big. So they're going to be like, it happens all the time. Say, I know, I get it happens all the time. But in order to, and here's where the psychoeducation comes in. But in order for us to change your brain, we have to activate the neural network. So it's easier to get one specific time. Then we'll get another and another and the whole thing will shift. So that's about as much as you need to explain it in that moment, right? For them to be on board. So, you know, when was the last time specifically? They'll say, well, I I went to this office, uh, you know, I had to go to this office party and I'll say, you know, uh, last week and I'll say, okay, so it's last week now. Can you be there now? Talk to me what's happening, right? So now I'm going to try and get them to associate in. Remember, step one, associate them into that so we can light up the relevant neural network. If someone is just talking about it, we can't guarantee that the network is lifted, that the memory is actually active. So you need to get them to touch it a little bit. So I'll say, okay, so it's, you know, it's it's last week now. Where are you? What's happening? How do you know it's time to feel that feeling, right? Because I'm looking for the moment. I'm not looking for when they're in it and they're, ah, I'm looking for what is the trigger that turns on this old neural network pattern, this old unconscious pattern. So they'll say, well, I was fine. I walked in and I saw their face and clearly they know who they is. I don't need to. But when I see this, I know we've hit something. So I say, stop, got it, shake. In an ideal world, right? I mean, luckily I'm a hypnotist. So I'm like, in an ideal world, let's just hypothetically say you're speaking to a hypnotist and they can help you to feel in any way you want to feel. How do you want to feel when you walk into that party? Well, I want to feel calm and relaxed. Well, what's it like when you're calm and relaxed? How do you know when you're feeling calm? What's it like in your body? So again, step three, now we are embodying the feeling. What's it like when you're feeling calm? Well, my shoulders go and I feel open. So now imagine your shoulders are going down and you're feeling open. And I start to mirror, right? We're in sync here. I'm starting to mirror how they want to be. And as you're feeling this feeling, now walk into the party and see them. How do you feel now? They'll be like, that's weird. They almost always say that's weird. That's weird. I'll be like, that's right, because you're changing. And when you're calm and you can walk into any party and just be like, hey, how's it going? Like, what's it going to be like when you're just comfortable being you? Like, oh, that would be so good. As it's feeling so good, walk into the party and see them. How do you feel now? Right? And so I'm going to, how do you feel now is a great question at the end because it presupposes change. That question, how do you feel now? The unspoken part of it is as opposed to then. Right. So it kind of it kind of unconsciously presupposes change. So I'm going to do this until they're like, oh, my God, I feel great. I'm like, that's right. And as you're feeling great, where else does this show up for you? And then I'm going to go for another table leg. Right. So we've got one table leg. I'm going to go for another table leg. Does that make sense? Now on to the second masterclass from this three-part series, How to Change Any Habit. In this one, we go into the science of habit change and you learn multiple techniques to stop unwanted habits in their tracks, including real coaching demonstrations from people from the audience. I said, I invited you all here saying, we're going to learn how to change any habit, right? And I wanted to start off by telling you this. Not all change in habits, not all habit change can happen in an instant like that. But 
you'll be amazed how many can actually. You know, there are so many people out there who are really, really eager to change the way that they're thinking, change the way that they're feeling, change the way that they're taking action, change the way that they're being in the world. And their unconscious mind is all ready to go and they just need you to bring what we're going to teach today, which is a simple research-backed technique <laughs> to start to rewire the brain, to prime the brain differently right from when your client is in your session and when they leave, they leave with the knowledge of exactly how to continue the work with themselves. And I want to tell you that I want to give you this optimism about you'll be surprised how many change can, how many habits can change immediately and dramatically. Because I remember learning this and Melissa has refined it over the past 10 plus years. But when I first learned it from Melissa 10, 10 plus years ago, I remember the kind of work that I was able to do with clients right away. And this was like me being like 23 and having zero experience, having just come, got, come out of Melissa's training. And I remember I worked with one client, I think like twice, I think. And they were like, I lost my fear of the dentist. I had this, you know, I was habitually scared to go to the dentist and the fear is gone. What the hell? Right. And I had another client who was um, a principal of a school, you know, with kids. And she had this morbid fear of public speaking. Like, and, you know, if you're a principal, you got to public speak a lot. And she was, she's been so afraid her whole life. And I think after, after the first session, she was like, holy shit, something lifted inside me. And after the third session, she was like, what have you done with me? Because that fear is gone. Right. So this was the kind of work what? I was able to do right from the beginning. And you're going to learn how to do that today. So this is the stuff that that gave me the craziest confidence when I was beginning, and it's going to give you the craziest confidence. And the things that I'm talking about nowadays, right? Like some 10 plus years after I first trained with Melissa, I, you know, I talk a lot about making your nervous system a safer place, right? How to create more safety in the nervous system as you do more stuff for your marketing, as you take up more space, as you become more visible in the world. And then everybody's always asking me, well, how do I create more safety in the nervous system? How do I, how do I do that? And what we're going to teach you in this class is the answer, because I've been doing this in a very low key way by myself, because this has been my training from the beginning and every significant change that I've made in my own thoughts, my actions, feelings, the way I saw myself has been through this. And this is a thing that makes everything work. And not only are you going to know how to do this with your clients, like I said, we're going to teach you how to do this in a way that's so simple. You could literally teach it to a five-year-old and Melissa does teach it to five-year-olds. <laughs> I was right? going to say, yep, you can. Yeah. And so I just want you to get excited about this and be prepared to experience it with us because you're not just going to be listening. You're going to be trying it on. You're going to, you're going to try on what it's like to be the client in the, in this, in this session, right? And then you're going to be excited. All right. So, so can I, I'm going to jump in, you know, there's many layers to this work and what I was, uh, you know, telling Simone earlier, you know, when we were first thinking of, of different things that would really give practical, amazing skills to people, you know, right off the bat. So this is what I do with a lot of the, the trainings that I've been running over these many years because what I was seeing for the most part when 
when people wouldn't immediately go out and put all of this stuff into practice was a certain lack of confidence. And so I designed the training and, and in such a way that right from the first hour, I give you what's basically a protocol, right? Uh, a protocol that, that has a lot of research behind it that we can actually look at brain scans and see oh shit, the brain has changed, right? Like this, this is, you know, how I built it based on a bunch of different people's research. And you can, in the first hour, learn this protocol that you can then teach to clients. And if that's all you learned, if it's all you did, if it's all you gave to to clients, they could make amazing changes. So right from the first jump, that's what we want to give to you today is a simple protocol. Obviously, there's layers to this, you know, like once you start to practice, once you start to understand that you can really utilize this first level to get all the other levels in line, right? And that's where the, the coaching, the unconscious mind comes in. But even just learning the basic tools in this protocol is going to really change the game if you want it to. You know, as I said, I, I can I can teach a form of this protocol to five-year-olds and empower them to change their own habits, to change their own brain. Because the, the, the way that I think about it and the way that I typically describe this protocol, and maybe some of you have seen me do this before, but it really rings, it really kind of lands with people. I say, imagine this is your habit road, right? Because anything done with repetition, felt with repetition, thought with repetition creates a habituated pattern in the brain. It's just how it works. The brain likes to conserve energy. And so anything that can be automated conserves energy. And so it will automate anything done with repetition, pretty much. And when I say brain, I mean your nervous system. I mean the body as well. It's all intertwined. You can't change one without having, you know, rippling effects throughout the body. But the way that I describe it is, think of this as your habit road. Now, whether that starts with a little anxiety or worry and then leads to a panic attack, or it starts with a thought that leads to a craving that leads to drinking or smoking or whatever, picking, pulling, you name the end you know, result, it's all the same. It follows a habituated path, right? And it becomes easy for your brain to do because of practice. So what we are going to do today is you're going to know how to encourage people to start to go down the path and then put a roadblock up. The roadblock is strategically designed to force the brain to detour. Each detour is the interrupting the habituated pattern and connecting in a different way to different neural networks. We did this other masterclass on memory reconsolidation, which is a big chunk of how we create that kind of real, almost instantaneous change, right? And if you haven't watched that replay yet, you probably uh, should, because there's a lot of great stuff in there. To me, it's the game changer. This too can be a game changer and has been for many people from psychiatrists to, I mean, to everybody that, that learns this protocol. So the idea is, they're going to be able to stop it. And this is what I say. If you're my client for tonight, if you act like you're my client, the first thing I say is, look, we're going to work on a few different levels here. The first level we're going to cover today, you're going to be able to stop it. 
Now, whatever it is, whether it is the cravings or the compulsive tendencies or the anxiety or the stress or the fear, the anger, you name it, whatever their habituated pattern is, I'm giving you techniques to stop it. Just that alone is empowering to people, right? If you know that you can stop a panic attack dead in its tracks, you will have less of them, right? Because you're armed. So each time you stop it, that's a roadblock. It starts the neuroplasticity happening, right? And we have, you know, basically an hour to 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 really get into it. So I'm not necessarily going to go through all of the research and how we know that these steps are actually changing the brain. Just know that there is. And we can give us some t- highlights. We like the research. Okay. We're starved for the research. Got Am it. I right? right. <laughs> so, so one of the people who first, many years ago, I remember reading um, this book called The Mind and the Brain. Not necessarily the one that I'm going to recommend to you of his because it was pretty dense. I mean, he's written easier reads at this point. Like uh, You Are Not Your Brain is one of them or Brain Block is another. And this is Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz who works with severe OCD. And what he found, he developed this this kind of four-step protocol, which is basically the meta pattern, which is basically the pattern underneath this protocol, where he took people with OCD and he first kind of um, put them in a brain scan and showed them their brains when they were having their OCD urges and thoughts. And he said, do you see this area over here? This is just your brain making a mistake. It's your OCD circuit. You don't really have dirty hands. You don't really have to check the stove for the 50th time. Your brain is making a mistake. So we had them in this study. They had to follow these these steps, which is as soon as they felt the urge, whatever their OCD manifestation was, wash hands, whatever it was, even thought loops, as soon as you felt that happening, you had to say, it's just my brain. It's just my brain. It's not me. My brain is making a mistake. In other words, dissociate a little bit, right, from it by by labeling it, saying it's my brain. Then they had to do something that they agreed upon at the beginning of the study that they found pleasurable. So some were gardening, some were playing music, some were dancing. It didn't matter. What mattered is it had to be pleasurable to them. So they would do this thing and they had to do it for about 15 minutes. That was, that was his protocol. What were some examples of the pleasurable things they did? I remember one of them was gardening. People could. Yeah, didn't go- I? Right. So gardening, playing music, making yeah. music, dancing, jogging, running, you know. Something that they enjoyed. Yeah. Right. That's the key. Right. And then from there, from that resource state, they had to then look at the big picture of, yes, this is better than continuing down that OCD route. Now, if you examine those steps, you'll see the meta pattern we spoke about last month in our master class, which follows this, this pattern. Now, I consider Jeffrey Schwartz's protocol to be white knuckling it, right? People, People after a week or two were like, I don't know if it's working because, you know, after a while I give in and I still check the lights or I still wash my hands. But when he put them in the fMRI machine to scan their brain, he saw that their brain looked very different. And at the end of, I think it was a four-week study, 
three to six weeks or something. At the end of that, you could not tell it was the same person's brain. Like that OCD circuit had been completely rewired in that study compared to the best medication they had at the time, right? It surpassed the best medication. And the the key here is when the control group stopped taking the meds, they went right back to their OCD pattern. The meds just stifled the urge, but didn't change the brain. But Jeffrey Schwartz's people didn't go back. Imagine being able to congruently offer your clients something that's better than fucking met. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that you should necessarily go advertise it saying like that, but you, (laughs) you will know in yourself. Right. And what you're going to learn is so much better than what Jeffrey Schwartz does. Right. As I said, he just has them say, Oh, it's, it's just my brain. It's not me. It's just my brain. Even though they still want to do the light, they're going to force themselves to do this other thing. And it still works. What you're going to learn are techniques where if I feel this urge, I'm going to do any one of the techniques you're about to learn. It's going to stop that anxiety, stop that craving, stop that feeling, and then allow you to segue out. So it's not white knuckling it. It's better than, you know, and Jeffrey Schwartz is pretty much at the top of his field when it comes to how to, you know, non-medically treat OCD. So this is for any habit. And as Simone had said, habits of of fear, habits, anxiety. I think anxiety is a habit. I think almost everything that shows up in my office is a habituated pattern. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. That's like that response of freezing. That's a habit. It's like when there's a a given trigger, the, the response from your brain is, I don't know. That's a habit. You know, So this protocol consists of, right, anywhere from three to five to 10 different pattern interrupts. Those are the roadblocks. Those are the ways that you're going to stop the craving or the anxiety and segue out. And then that is how to stop doing what you don't want to do. And then we're going to give you a self-hypnosis template so that you can start doing what you want, right? Start the new habit. And this gives your, this gives the, the two different sides of this coin, how to stop doing what you don't want to do and start doing what you do. Another thing I really want, quickly want to say is that when we're talking about changing habits, right? Because I've heard people say, you know, some in the chat, some before the class, like I have a habit of under earning or I have a habit of being late. I have a habit of these really big things. And I always recommend, I mean, I know you have a spiel about this too, Melissa, but Always see if you could make it smaller, right? So for example, if you're always, let's say you're always late, there's a bunch of decisions that go in. It's not just one decision. I'm going to be late. There's a bunch of subconscious strategies, decisions you make along the way that cumulatively create the effect of you being late, right? Same with under earning. Right. So so definitely let's address that. And it's not necessarily about making it smaller. It's about looking at choice point. In that moment where you feel something that you feel gets in the way of you either, you know, not hitting the snooze button or getting out the door on time or being organized the night before, you know, everyone is different. So what we do as coaches is we track it. We're going to look to see what is the moment that this unconscious strategy turns on. And there's always a moment, 
right? And there's typically many, but as long as we can start to navigate that, like in, you know, when was the last time specifically, let's look at that, what, you know, that you felt you contributed to this under earning. So we look for where those moments are. And that's part of the fun of, you know, of being, of of investigating. I want to say two things. Sorry, were you done? No, no, no. I want to say two things really quick. One is guys, just because these techniques seem a little like simple, you know, kindergarten like pass the ball back and forth and, you know, expand out your awareness or, you know, do this. It looks deceptively simple. And that's a good thing. So we can remember how to do it. But don't forget, these are powerful, quick ways where you can track the difference in your brain if you were doing an fMRI scan to change your nervous system state. These are and over time. Yes. Totally, totally rewire your brain. So many people in the comments are like, what about this habit? What about that habit? I don't know. I don't understand how to change this habit. Whatever you've got, what happens is that something happens in your life or you see something or someone says something or it's four o'clock or the alarm went off, whatever, and your nervous system has a habituated response, whatever it is that you have. So ask yourself, if I've got a habit of under earning, for example, what is the point? What are the points in my life where there is a circumstance and my nervous system has a habituated response. It seems automatic. You can hardly be aware of it as it's happening. And there you are again, thinking that thing again. There you are again, feeling that emotion again. There you are taking that action again, right? right. Or you can say, you know, when was the last time you could have made a move that would have earned you more money and you didn't. And that right. is where you as a coach are going to start to track where it shows up, right? So what we're giving you is this kind of protocol where you can interrupt it. Now, it's obvious when it's a craving or a compulsion or a or anxiety or anger or stress response or avoidance response. These are emotional states where these techniques are very obvious that they take away. So sometimes when you're talking about a, a habit that you feel doesn't fit in with these parameters, right? You're going to look at where is these choice points where I need to feel differently, right? And find them out because there's typically something that keeps this going. Otherwise, if there wasn't an emotional component to it, you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. These are always, even if you're not necessarily trying to change a habit or change your response to what these do is it gets your nervous system to neutral, right? And if you keep encountering the same triggers and you're able to get your nervous system to neutral again and again, if if you have it in your hands, the power to do that, which you literally do, right? Think about the value of knowing how to set your nervous system back to neutral every time and to be able to teach your clients how to set their nervous system to neutral every time. And and here's the thing, Melissa gives you- More than neutral. Sometimes something even better than neutral. Right. Calm. Calm. Yeah. Yeah. Relaxed. Right. And the reason Melissa taught you these like four techniques so far, and when you take the, our best fucking coaching course, you're going to learn more. The reason you have these is that you have a whole toolkit of them because people are different. Not one thing doesn't work for a hundred percent of the people. Right. And so you have different things to pull out of your tool bag and say, let's try this. Let's try this. Right. Brain likes novelty. The brain likes novelty and and your client's brain. 
Yeah. How you layer these in with repetition and what sort of triggers and circumstances you bring this intervention to, that's sort of like the finesse and the nuance of your coaching that we're going to go really deep into in the course. Right. And there's so many great questions. Like, I just want to just address this one that I see. Like, what if your client's triggers come from toxic relationships that you can't easily get away from, like a family member you can't avoid rather than from your internal habit? But that is an internal habit because you can't change anyone else. What you can do is change your response, right? And in any relationship, you change your response, the whole thing starts to shift. So when a client comes to me and it's like, well, it's not my problem that, you know, it's my husband always does this thing. And I'm like, well, then send your fucking husband here because I can't change your husband. You can't change your husband, but you can change how you react and respond every time. And that will do more to change your husband than you think, right? Change how you respond. That's where you say, okay, here, think of the last time specifically, here's your husband says this thing, you feel this feeling, tap it the fuck out. And how do you want to feel instead? On to our third and final masterclass from this three-part series, Deep Trans Magic. This is class three. Hopefully you guys have watched the other two. And, you know, what Simone and I were talking about you know, yesterday and and this morning was, you know, really the between these three, we're really giving a, a, a good kind of taste of the different levels of work that we feel create a kind of holistic, integrative, magical system of change work. You know, so you know, the the first one of basically self-directed neuroplasticity with how to change any habit is really about empowering people to interrupt their patterns and then create uh, new ones. And then the meta pattern with memory reconsolidation, you know, that is a big, huge portion of what makes, you know, kind of rapid change work and go generative and, and start to really spin out into other areas of people's lives. Now, the third level of of kind of the system, the work. I just really quickly want to say, if you haven't had a chance to catch the first two workshops yet, that will have no bearing on your ability to enjoy right, today. Right, right. I'm just giving this a bit of This is independent, but yeah. <laughs> Go catch them if you haven't yet, but right. today is independent, yeah. And so this piece is really the kind of magical piece. I have found because for over 20 years, just working with people that have tried many other different things in order to get, you know, change, uh, hypnosis uh, is like sprinkling some magic fairy dust, you know, over the session because it opens the door to expectation, to rapid belief change, because it's something most people haven't done. It allows us to explore deeper states for clarity and meaning-making, creating new narratives. And when they get this intuitive stuff, when they get this information from such an altered state of consciousness, it lends weight to it, right? Like I once had a conversation with someone where they were you know, they went into this deep trance and they came out with something that would sound like a cliche to anybody. Like I have everything I need or it's all love, you know, but when you receive that from a very deep state of consciousness, it's rich with meaning, right? 
So you can say something to your client. You can make certain suggestions or ask questions where they then get their own internal answers. And from a very deep state of trance, whatever they get tends to be really transformative, right? Yeah. 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 It's like something, it's a way to have someone feel the truth of something, right? Again, it could be the most basic quote unquote ideas. It could be something that sounds like a cliche, sounds corny. If you just say it normally, right? Like I love myself or, you know, I am worthy or whatever. Right. But when you, I when do you deserve right to be happy, <laughs> but there, when you have a moment of feeling it, brain, heart, gut, gut. spirit, and your whole being is vibrating with, with the truth of that, with that deep embodied understanding that changes you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so that's a little bit while we were waiting for everyone to come a little bit of the, you know, why, you know, why, why do I want this? Why do I want to be able to share this? Why as a practitioner, do we do this? I mean, I primarily have been a hypnotist for 25 years, you know, hypnosis is my that that's kind of the angle I come at all of this coaching from is, you know, I started there. And so for me, just to watch how just a little bit of an altered state, you know, just a little bit really opens the door for people that have never experienced that before. I saw another question. How is this different from, say, meditation? Well, there's a bunch of different ways I can answer this. Typically, I think of hypnosis and meditation as hypnosis is kind of like meditation with an agenda. Now, when it comes to, you know, the brain, people that go into hypnosis, there's a little difference in activity of what's happening in the brain versus just meditation, but subjectively it tends to feel very similar. So one of the things that I do in the very first trance with most people, I think I did it in the master class where I have you give yourself a suggestion, it's called a convincer, and I do it with the first trance with almost every client, something simple, whether it's suggest your legs are heavy and then people can't lift their legs or suggest, you know, like imagine, suggest your hand is light and then it floats. Something that shows that you are in a very different state because otherwise it does feel similar to meditation, right? And until you utilize the heightened suggestibility which really is what hypnosis is, a state of heightened suggestibility. So until you actually give yourself a suggestion and then feel how that suggestion is taking, it's hard to know the difference. Now, I can feel the difference because I've done a lot of trance. So I know that when I go into trance, there's certain features for me that happen. My legs will immediately get so heavy, there's no way I could lift them because I've used that convincer on myself for years. So I tend to like to give my clients something that shows them that this is a very, it's a workable state. It's very different in just the level of suggestibility. That's why we use it. Was that a good? Yeah. Yeah. A few people have asked, why does this work? And I think you kind of answered that. You know, that that gets into a much longer discussion because when it comes to hypnosis, there's still not really a general consensus as to uh, why it works. Sometimes not even, we don't even agree on how it works. We can see, you know, the differences in the brain. We can, you know, we can, we can use in research, we can measure certain differences, 
But how it works, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, how it works is we are quieting the part of the mind that tends the the error uh, detection center, the overly critical center, what we call critical faculty, tends to get less uh, neural activity. We also tend to slow down and go into slower brainwave states. Now, I used a little bit of Les Femi's idea of the space between, and he wrote a book called Open Focus Brain. And so he's a kind of pioneer in neural feedback. So I blended that with some of my friend, John Overdurf, who's Some of you already know his alpha sequence, which is that slow breathing, the relaxing, the tongue. So I'm, I'm playing a little bit with brainwaves and then, you know, so I know that that is how some of it is working. (laughs) I'm still answering. How does it work? And a lot of this is just theory too. And then we have things like the suggestive nature of it, which we didn't include. When it's such a big group and people are coming in and out, I'm not necessarily too concerned about convincing you that you're in a state of power. If you were, you know, my client, I would say, look at how powerful you are. Make a suggestion. I don't know, like your leg is heavy. And then notice or, you know, suggest that your hand is stuck to the table. And then when people are trying really hard to lift their hand off the table, they realize they're in a state of heightened suggestibility. So we're still arguing about how it works. (laughs) There's some beautiful reflections about what people saw in this state. You know, someone saying my heart kept kept telling my brain, you are not alone. Some of you heard, saw beautiful things. And there's a few comments that I've seen about whether it's like, quote unquote, not working, if you have conscious thoughts, you know, quote unquote, interrupting, or like you hear the phone and you're sort of in and out of that, you know, yeah, relaxed doesn't state. Matter. Consciousness flows in, it flows out. And I love reading a lot of your experience. So pe- this one person just said, I'm a really experienced meditator, but this got me there very quickly. I always say this is the easy pass right? Because I'm not one who has a nice meditation practice. And I never kind of had the patience to develop that. But hypnosis will get you into the very deep, profound states. I mean, most of my inductions when I'm doing formal hypnosis is, is very rapid. And so, you know, I work with a lot of people that are experienced meditators, and they're like, whoa, that was the fast track. You know, a lot of people say I got lots of downloads about how to help my clients. People are sharing, you know, how it was magical. I saw a heart symbol with swords, which meant warrior, brave, love to me, which really resonated. I saw a beautiful butterfly spreading wings. You know, the subconscious, sorry, this moved so quickly. I can't, (laughs) I can't hold still on any one thing. So, you know, you got to remember, this is something that we did so that it could be as we had to make it general because there's hundreds of you. And if you are working with somebody, you know, this is going to be part of what we cover in the best fucking coaching course. But if you're working with someone one-on-one, which you normally are in a coaching situation, then we are going to be able to be a lot more specific, right? And be tailored to the person in front of us. And we're also going to be able to observe their body language and their, their body signals. For example, how they're breathing, right? Right. The subtle, you know, movements of their breath and their body and their facial expressions so that you can watch to calibrate, right? 
how to help them to relax and access the state of consciousness. Here's one simple question. How much of the BFCC is hypnosis trance stuff? As far as how much, I mean, to me, I have an expanded view of hypnosis, right? Hypnosis is any really good communication that has the ability to influence and, uh, you know, and help guide the unconscious mind. So to me, it's almost all hypnosis because even the coaching pattern, even the meta pattern that we talked about in the other classes and memory reconsolidation, when done in the way that we're teaching, which is coaching the unconscious mind, then you learn how to speak many languages at once. You learn multi-level communication, even during what seems like a normal conversation. This is the art of being able to, you know, to access the, the conscious and the unconscious mind at the same time. So we're learning that really right from the jump. How do we use language? How do we use our tone? How do we use our body? How are we marking out separate messages to the conscious and the unconscious mind? To me, that's waking hypnosis, right? It's conversational hypnosis. And then we have the more obvious trances that we give people. That's the one that lends the the real magic in the client's idea, the client's mind. Because otherwise they're like, you know, well, I I don't understand how I changed, but all of a sudden, like, in other words, most of my clients have come from psychiatrists, right? So they've tried many other things before they get to me. I'm like the the caboose on the train. (laughs) I'm the last stop. And even though I know that the conversational, the dynamic stuff, the constant, you know, the strategic, basic, practical neuroscience that that you're going to learn if you're if you're in the training, I know that that's where we're making the change. But that doesn't make sense to your average client, right? But where they think the change happens is because they went into this magical state. So you teach your client to go into this hypnotic state so that when they go back to their doctor and they no longer have the anxiety or they no longer have the phobia and the doctor says, well, what happened? How did that happen? They say, I was hypnotized. (laughs) And all of a sudden that just becomes the answer because they're like, oh yeah, (laughs) I told you hypnosis would be good for this because otherwise it's too, you know, they need something to hang the change on. And hypnosis is perfect for that because most people have never tried it in the way that that we do it, right? Someone else had asked, you know, that you heard some people are just unhypnotizable. Is that true? Well, that was based on- Or or if you find it hard to drop into a relaxed state and maintain it. Right. So a lot of people have that experience. Sure. That consciousness goes in and out and in and out. Now there is trance ability. And some people are better at it than others. But in my experience, right, 25 years, I have never encountered someone that couldn't be hypnotized. They just might not have been able to be hypnotized in the more traditional, you know, what 99% of hypnotists are doing, which is maybe a progressive relaxation induction or the more traditional forms. That's why I expanded all of the different ways that we can influence and teach people to go into hypnosis. And that's why, 
you know, I do New York hypnosis, you know, it's typically a few minutes in and out. And this way people can do it for themselves and for people whose mind wanders and they come out, they go back in, they come out, they go back in, you know, we're, 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 we're shrinking the time that people will kind of lose their focus. So traditional research says that there is five to 10% of the population that are deep trance subjects. These are the people that I have helped to have surgery with no anesthetics. Give birth with no anesthetics. No anesthetic, have the cesarean section and no drugs, usually because they're allergic to anesthesia. That's when they're going to get to the point where they're like, I need hypnosis. Oh my God, I need something because they're allergic to anesthesia. So there's five to 10% of the population can go into those types of trance, but they can totally do all of the hypnotic phenomenon. But basically 80% of the population can experience medium to deep states that there is in traditional research, 5% of the population that they say really can't experience hypnotic phenomenon. But that's the old style of putting everyone through a progressive relaxation induction and then suggestions. And they found that 5% just can't do that. So once you expand what hypnosis is, number one, as well as how to, you know, help people to get into it, then you kind of close that 5% can't be hypnotized. They just... There's so much diversity in how our brains operate, how our senses right. operate. Like I think in the chat, some of us are talking about, you know, those who don't really, you know, visuals don't really work well for them, right? I have um, worked with uh, people who, you know, are can't see. I don't think anybody who can't hear, but but the thing is all of us, right? If you're able to communicate, right? You're able to, some senses are working, right? right. And there's Every one of our senses is a channel, right? Through which we can receive communication to whether it's relax or, you know, whatever it is. So if one thing isn't working, like if one sense isn't working for you, that doesn't mean, not mean you're not hypnotizable. It does not mean you, you aren't able to experience this state of being. And I also want to say this too, which answers some other questions. Like, can we do this again? Can we feel, you know, can we get into this state again? This relaxed state of consciousness that a lot of people call trans sleep, everybody experiences it every day in some way. For example, when you're waking up from sleep. Right. Right before you go to sleep, right before you wake up, the hypnagogic, hypnopompic state is quite suggestive. You're hitting that trance state. When you're daydreaming, kind of days like dozing off, like we we hit those states. Like your brain is primed to experience that brainwave state naturally. And you don't even have to think in terms of brainwave, think in terms of a continuum, mm. right? Most people have experienced certain aspects of this, like the highway trance, right? Like when you do something and you're on auto and you you get you get home and you think, I don't remember turning off the, you know, getting off that exit. But one of the things that I always say is, you know, one of the ways that we go in and out of trance all the time is when we're watching a movie, right? If you've ever watched a movie where what you saw on the screen made you anxious and adrenaline moved through your system, you're in a state of heightened suggestibility because there's two real features for, you know, the traditional official 
hypnosis to be present. One is a narrowing of attention and the other is a pushing aside of the critical faculty of the mind. That creates, right, a heightened suggestibility. So one of the ways that I just say this to a client, so I'm just going to share it here because it might make sense to more people that are asking. Oh yeah, infomercials, totally hypnotic. Don't get me started. Don't even get me started (laughs) on the pharmaceutical industries ad campaigns. But anyway, <laughs> let's just imagine this. Here's here's how I say it very simply to my clients, right? I say, imagine this is your unconscious, which by the way, in my world, right? And in the latest research on the adaptive unconscious, we're not talking Freudian unconscious, you know, death instincts and all that bullshit. We're talking about how you process every single thing, every single moment, 95 to 97% of everything of who you are is outside of your conscious awareness. So this is your unconscious. I'm like, I'll get out of the way. Simone is your unconscious. This is where long-term memory is stored. This is where your emotions are. This is where all of your automated uh, systems are. This is where your body systems are, your, your immune system, endocrine system, every system that you don't consciously mediate I put over here on this side and call it part of the unconscious system. This little bit, tiny bit, if you only knew how small your conscious mind, your conscious awareness, the you who you fucking think you are. That's why I say you are so much more than that. Anyway, it's this much, three to 5%. It has power. It drives the bus. It has time on its side because the unconscious mind doesn't have time. But anyway, so you can think about, you can think about your future. You can worry about your future and ruminate about your past. That's all conscious minded stuff because everything is now to your unconscious mind. But what do we need, right? We need a narrowing of attention and a pushing aside of this barrier. And that's when you can take a suggestion from the conscious mind and put it into the unconscious. And now let's think about what happens when you watch a movie, right? You watch a movie. The first thing you do, you sit down in the seat and you narrow your attention to the screen. The next thing you do without even trying, because we've been trained since we were very little, that in order to enjoy a movie or a story or a fictional novel, we push aside that barrier. It's called critical faculty. We push it aside, otherwise known as suspend disbelief. Because if you watched a movie with only your conscious mind, you would never be able to forget that that's an actor, that there's a writer, that there's the lighting crew and the camera crew, and there's all this shit going on, and it's not real. But in order to lose ourselves in that movie, we push this aside so we can connect to where our emotions and beliefs and value systems that are typically going on unconsciously right? So we push it aside willingly, which means we are highly suggestible, which means when they want you to jump, you fucking jump, right? They want you to cry. You want to cry. Why? Because you're highly suggestible because that barrier is down. Now this happens, unfortunately, whenever we have our own horror movies going on in our minds, right? Our constant rumination creates anxiety is just horror movies in your mind about the future scenarios that haven't happened. So think about what fight or flight is, 
Fight or flight is your unconscious mind. Instead of consciously sitting down to a movie and consciously, whether you realize it or not, just pushing that aside, it, it is more unconscious. But for fight or flight, that barrier, that gets pushed aside from this way. The unconscious mind says, I got this, right? And doses you in adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol, and it sends extra blood to your arms and to your legs so you can fight or flight. But you're just watching a fucking movie or you're just worrying about something in your mind. So you have to understand now that is, but what else knocks that barrier is repetition. So I don't think I'm good enough. 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 And all of a sudden you're creating an unconscious belief or a habituated pattern of thought. And it exists over here because the brain conserves energy. So anything done with repetition thought with repetition, felt with repetition, eventually makes it over here and it becomes automated so that we can free up space in the conscious mind. So this is where your habits are. This is why it gets hard to change because when you make a conscious suggestion, that's it. You know what? Starting Monday, I'm only going to eat fruits and vegetables. And then it's always Monday, right? And then you make that, you know, that proclamation. Well, that bounces up against the wall because you've got patterns here that take precedence that say, no, (laughs) we like KFC, (laughs) whatever, right? So it bounces against the wall. Now you can create a new habit through repetition. I'm going to, I'm not going to eat that, not going to eat that, not going to eat that, not going to eat that. Eventually I'll create another unconscious pattern. So that help, right? To tell you a little bit about another way of thinking about what we're doing. So while we're doing a group, we wanted it to be a gentle unfolding because we can't monitor every person, everybody. So I'm not going to do something drastic. I'm not even going to do maybe a convincer where I, you know, Because who knows, you might not want your foot stuck to the floor. You might not want to experience that. It might freak some people out. So we kept it nice and gentle so that we knew you would go where you kind of wanted to go without the hardcore push aside. We gave you ample opportunities to relax this barrier and play. But the truth is, this too is a fucking metaphor, people. You know, like you're always going in and out of heightened suggestible states, always. The self-hypnosis that you run every single day is what you constantly, repeatedly say to yourself or worry about. That becomes your unconscious, that becomes your self-hypnosis. The story that you tell yourself and others. Over and over and over again. We become the stories that we tell. So part of the hypnotic work when we're working one-on-one is to help people to create new narratives, new stories. I want to reassure some people who have had, because I'm seeing from the comments, people who have had negative experience, who are uncomfortable, you know, who had unpleasant sensations who, during who the trans- unple- okay. A few people said. Why does it happen that people had some unpleasant experience? Yeah, that you could have an unpleasant vision. You could have unpleasant experience. Well, in the body. because what we're working with is is your own your own mind. It is not free 
of your unconscious filters, your biases, all of that stuff is still there. You know, it's not like we go into a state and you are magically someone else. You are more of yourself and we can kind of put these suggestions in. So whatever frame you had going on, whatever thoughts, whatever preconceived notions. It's coming up when we clear the filters of the They they all come into play, you know? And so I don't, typically have people that have a negative experience, but I've been teaching long enough to know that in different groups, some I mean, people, this is a big group. Some people mm-hmm. will have a, you know, a, a vision, you know, and, and it, it worries them, but it's not typical. It's yeah. not standard. And it really depends on our suggestions. We tried to keep our suggestions all positively focused. So we were actually leading you to, you know, when I say, what does your heart know? And I say it in this tone, it's usually leading and opening to something positive. When we say feeling how you want to feel, being how you want to be, you know, everything that you want, feeling this, we're loading it up as much as we can to have a positive experience. When we say come up with a symbol, allow the And we keep it as vague and general as possible. Because there's so many people. Anything specific, like depending on who you are, you could like, it could trigger, you know. A mismatch. Yeah. So we try to be vague here. Yeah. Right. And give a bunch of possibilities. We didn't even use, I was... <laughs> We didn't use the word sigil because for some reason, Simone yeah, was like, like, we're not going to say people like, are gonna, people not going to know what that is or whatever, or, yeah. but, but that was our intention with the, with this symbol. I saw one person had a question. Yeah. Like so about the sigil, cause I, I talked about a magical practice and sigil, right? So a visual representation of what you want, right? A, a, a desire, a dream, a wish that is a pretty universal practice in a lot of spiritual traditions. And including my own and how you create that symbol, it varies from culture to culture. And what we did today, something a little bit different and playful is instead of like drawing something with your conscious mind or, you know, coming up with something with your conscious mind, we dropped into a state of trance and let your unconscious mind create something for you. Yeah. Symbolizing, capturing, right? The essence of who you are becoming and then releasing it out as you would a magical sigil, right? If that's your thing. So in most sigil practices across cultures, did I say in many, I don't know if, about most, yeah. cause I don't know. Right. In many. Um, in many, you create the symbol and you don't like look at it every day and say affirmations. So you, I saw my prosperity sigil and my power, power sigil. sigil yeah. Together. So you look at the sigil and you, you create the sigil and then you put it away. Right. right. Or you don't, destroy it. You don't, the, the point is, you know how it is like, here's a wish and I am kind of, I, I verbalized it. I artic- articulate it. And then I unattach from it so that I create a space where new learning could occur, new growth, right. new experiences. We don't want to constantly check on it. That's the, that, kind of, that ruins the magic. Yeah. Right? It kind of steps on the magic, but in, in many levels, when, when we teach, right. Um, there's, there's so much that we, we, we put out there and, and I always say, look, I'm throwing out a bunch of seeds here, you know, and what you water, what you care for, what you, you know, want to allow to grow is, is up to you when I'm throwing out a bunch, but what you never want to do when you plant a seed is to dig it up every three days to see how it's growing. You know what I mean? You have to like plant it. You, you give it, you occasionally water it in the sunshine, whatever. 
and allow it to grow. And it's kind of the same with this, you know, with magic, with intention. You want to be able to access the energy now. This was the other key component. One of the traps that we always really need to coach people to get the fuck away from is the I'll be happy when. So this was about how can I feel this feeling now and bring it present? So I have the feeling that I'm thinking I am working towards. How can I have this feeling now? How can I be happy now? Be magical now. Feel fulfilled now because then every decision I make comes from a better, you know, quality of consciousness. If you want to talk energetically, it comes from a better energetic line, you know, and it is the way that the conscious and the unconscious mind influence each other. Because when you put an intention out there, you are subtly shifting your cognitive filters to now look for magic. You've got a very malleable, but most people don't. filtering system. We know how to shift it and to help our clients to shift their filters, but most people don't. And so they have a habituated modes of perception or perceptual positions with which they view their life, themselves, their relationships. We get into habits of perception. And so sometimes we want to be able to dose ourselves with little magic because it throws a little bit of a wrench into the habituated ways the unconscious mind filters information. So, you know, we do something like this and people will say, oh my God, and the next day I saw this very thing. Someone who said, I saw this, you know, white bird. And then later that day, there's that white bird. It's not that the bird magically has been manifested, but you have shifted your filtering system. So now you notice it. You might not have noticed it before because it wasn't a part of what you deemed relevant. That's the way that the conscious and the unconscious mind interplay. So that is a big part of how this helps to change habits, change beliefs, right? And another way is that when you dip into, when you expand out into the state of consciousness, a lot of the sort of habitual you know, doubts or anxieties or fears that that felt very real to you. A lot of people experience that becoming, oh, you know what? Now that I look from this perspective, it feels less, you know, less charged. It's it's they can put a bigger distance between themselves and whatever limiting beliefs they had. So it's a way to shake loose, right? Those beliefs that felt very stuck before, right? Right. And, and there was you know, th- there was another question about, you know, can you embed new beliefs in this state. And absolutely, that's exactly one of the ways that you use the state of hypnosis for. And while just to say this about the BFCC, it's not a hypnosis course, we're not training hypnotists. However, we're going to teach you enough about hypnosis and enough about how to effectively engage the subconscious, the unconscious mind in order to make the change easier in order to make habit change so much easier belief change so much easier than if you are just working at the cognitive level with thoughts right right? and once you understand the system right this is what i mean by every conversation with a client becomes hypnotic because you're understanding the language of the unconscious mind you're understanding how we are always constantly directionalizing 
right? The unconscious mind through attention. What are they paying attention to? What are they not paying attention to? But also think of this. How many of you are coaches or therapists or whatever, and you want to say something or point something out and a person, before you've even finished what what you're going to say, they've already negated it. Like, oh, but I can't. Oh, but I'll never, I can never. I can never see myself as, you know, powerful or oh, that kind of thing doesn't work for yeah, me. Yeah, that kind of, I, I've tried, to, I, I've, I've tried that before. It doesn't, you know, I've tried telling myself a better story. It doesn't work, you know? So once you get them into a state where they're more open to suggestion and that critical faculty is pushed aside, they get to entertain new perspectives, entertain new ideas. My form of hypnosis, by the way, is not the kind where I put someone into a trance and then I know what's best. So I make the fucking suggestions to them. That's not my form of hypnosis. I hate that shit. <laughs> I don't stand outside of trance telling you what you should and shouldn't do. I, we open it up. And then we allow the inherent wisdom to come out. We might use, you know, inductive questions. We might use prompts that will allow people's inner wisdom to come out, right? So that those suggestions come from what the client wants. It's more organic that way and client-centered. Hey, Simone again. Remember everyone, these 90-minute masterclasses are completely free and you can watch them now to learn all the techniques, demonstrations, and walkthroughs that we highlighted today in this episode. All you have to do is go to bestfuckingcoachingcourse.com and scroll down about halfway through to a section that says, you know, if you want to get a taste of coaching the unconscious mind, here's this three-part workshop series and there's buttons where you can download each of the full replays for free. And now, If this is ringing all the bells for you and you anticipate correctly (laughs) that this coaching education with Melissa and yours truly is exactly what you need to take your coaching practice to the next level or get the best fucking education possible on earth to become an amazing coach. I hope you will join us in the best fucking coaching course. We begin January. You can sign up right now through best fucking coaching course com today, or you can find the link in the show notes. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list, sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 unsolicited copy tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.